Blog Talk Radio. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the BHITB podcast. I'm your host, Dante Fortson, and today's show is going to be titled The First Purge, Part 1. And I do want to give a shout-out to one of the listeners, BG, who pointed out that on one of the previous podcasts, I spoke about the book of Esther, and they pointed out that it did sound like the purge. Um, So that's why I changed the name of the show in honor of that comment. So if you're not a patron, go to Patreon, uh, patreon patreon.com forward slash Dante Fordson, and you can become a patron for only a dollar. It's a bunch of extra goodies you get in the welcome package, downloadables, printables, a couple of books in there as well. So if you're not yet a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash Dante Fordson and become one. Um, Let's see here. Written studies had a question from a uh, reader. They wanted to know when are the written studies coming back to ministerfortson.com and the BHITB website. Well, they will be back after November 15th. Right now, 100% of my effort is going into getting uh, the Black Hebrew Awakening finished. And speaking of the Black Hebrew Awakening, while we're on the subject, make sure you go vote on the cover uh, you can go search Black Hebrew Awakening on blackhistoryinthebible.com, and you can vote for the cover. There's also a sneak preview of the table of contents. You can check that out. And if you are following me on Twitter or YouTube, on November 15th, I'm going to do a podcast. I will give out the 5% discount code on Twitter. I'll give it out on YouTube in the uh, notes section of that show, and I will also... Uh, mention it on the podcast on November 15th. That is the day that the Black Hebrew Awakening comes out. Uh, so if you're not a, well, that, that's for the 5% discount. If you're not a patron, you should go become one now because on that day, I'm also going to post a discount code in the red pill section. It's going to be 10% for red pill patrons and all access patrons will get 20% off of the paperback book. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the show. Uh, yesterday had a little bit of technical difficulty, so I have a new headset today, so hopefully you guys can hear me. Uh, yesterday's show was really, really broken up, so I'm sorry about that, but I do have a new headset. So I'm going to go ahead and get into the show. And today's uh, lesson really is going to come from the Book of Esther. And the Book of Esther is only one of well, one of only two books in the Old Testament named after women. And I think the contrast is kind of interesting because the book of Esther presents her as a young, good-looking virgin. And in the book of Ruth, she is presented as an older widow. Um, So I'm not going to get too much into comparisons between Esther and the book of Ruth, uh, but that was just one I wanted to point out that I thought was kind of interesting just on the surface. So Esther... Uh, She is living during the time of the Persian captivity, and the king that rules at the time is Ahasuerus. He ruled 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. And so what's going to happen is a chain of events that's going to lead to what I'm referring to as the first purge. So this king has a – well, he calls the queen to come to him. He calls Queen Vashti to come to him. And Queen Vashti refuses. And where he was located was at the palace in Shushan. We call that Susa, S-U-S-A. We call that Susa today. And you can Google that and check out uh, Shushan Palace or Susa Palace. And 
it was established by the Elamites. Now, the Elamites were descended from Seth's son, Elam. Now, if you go to the um, BHITB website or ministerfortson.com and you search for Elam or Elamites, you will find that the Elamites painted themselves on the walls of Susa. There are pictures there. They painted themselves as black people. There is, there's no mistaking what they look like. The Elamites were black people. And to me, it's one of the uh, best cases of evidence that Shem also had black descendants. Uh, we know what happens when we get into the conversation of whether or not Hebrews were black, but that is a strong piece of evidence that Shem's descendants were black as well. So this is the palace that Ahasuerus was occupying um, during this captivity. Now, Queen Vashti, when he calls her, she refuses to come, and he doesn't know what to do. So this, this is something that apparently had not happened before, a queen refusing the king's request. And so he consulted all his wise men, and they were afraid that if news got out about Queen Vashti's refusal going unpunished, that the wives of all the other nobles would start to rebel against their husbands and it would have a trickle-down effect, and then the common women would start to rebel against their husbands, leading to a whole women's rights movement, basically. So this is more of prevention that they come up with. They want to completely strip Queen Vashti of her royal estate as a punishment for her disobeying the king, and also so that women would think twice about disobeying their husbands and then instead honor their husbands even more. So, so they, they come up with this plot, and then they do it. They strip Queen Vashti completely of all her royal estate, and so Ahasuerus needs to replace Queen Vashti because part of the plan is to give her estate to another woman. So it wasn't just the stripping down of her estate. They wanted to give it to somebody else. So they wanted the women to see this. Like if you if you act out of line, everything you have will be taken away and given to another woman. So the the king orders that his uh, servants go out, and they gather up all the best-looking virgins from all the provinces, the 127 provinces. And so they gather these virgins, and these virgins prepare for 12 months to spend one night with the king. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie One Night with the King, um, it's about the book of Esther, uh, apparently. But that's where this comes from. All this preparation is to spend one night with the, with the king. And if you haven't seen the movie, you should probably watch it. It's a, it's a decent movie. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, it's worth the watch. So check that movie out. It's called One Night with the King. So anyway, they, they do this preparation to spend this one night with the king. Now, what's what's kind of downplayed in the in the Christian teachings, um, well, more so in the yeah, well, in the Christian church, is that this was a a sexual prep, preparation and this was a premarital sex preparation. So. What would happen is the the women that were chosen, the virgins, they would be put in house number one, and they would be under a caretaker or a keeper. And this is in the book of Esther as well. When they would come out of – well, after the 12 months of preparing, they would come spend the night with the king, and whichever woman pleased the king the most, that was the woman he was going to choose. So they would spend the night with the king, and in the morning when they were done – They wouldn't go back to the house of virgins. They would be moved to the house of concubines, which we'll call house number two. The house of concubines, if you go look up the definition of a concubine, it is basically a sex slave. 
and then they would only appear before the king when the king called them forward. And he wasn't necessarily married to all the concubines. He was only going to choose one to uh, marry and make his queen. All the rest were just sex slaves. So there's a lot of stuff going on in this story. So the king was gathering the best-looking virgins, or his people were gathering the best-looking virgins, and Esther was chosen. But her cousin, Mordecai, didn't want her to reveal her identity as a Hebrew. Now, sometimes there's people who teach that Mordecai was her uncle, but that's probably due to a, a slight misreading in the text because of the way it's worded. Esther was Mordecai's uncle's daughter, which would make her his cousin. He then adopts her as his own daughter after her parents die. So he's her cousin, but he's also a father figure. And the only thing he's not, he's not her uncle. So if you've been taught that he's her uncle, it's probably due to just a, a misunderstanding of the way the text was written. Um, so he tells her not to reveal her identity. And during this process, Esther is, is taken into the king's house well, after the 12-month process. She's taken into the king's house. She spends the night with the king. He makes her queen. And so now Esther is the official queen, but she still can't come see the king without permission or being called. So this is the scenario. Now Mordecai overhears two of the king's men plotting to kill him. So Mordecai warns Esther. Esther then goes and warns the king, and the king has the two men killed. So this is the chain reaction I'm talking about. Vashti disobeys. She has to be punished and replaced. Esther replaces her. Mordecai overhears the plot, and because Esther's in position to get to the king's ear to let him know what's going on, the king's life is saved. But this also leads to the promotion of Haman. And Haman is an Agagite. And if you don't know who that who the Agagites are, the Agagites are descendants of Agag. Agag was the king of the Amalekites. And in the book of um, 1 Samuel, chapter 15, the prophet Samuel kills Agag after Saul fails to do so, after God had told him to wipe out Agag and all his people. So Samuel, Samuel has to do it for Saul, which leads Saul to not be in contact with the most high anymore, which leads to the entire witch of indoor situation eventually. So the Agagites were, um, let me see here. The Agag was the king of the Amalekites and the Amalekites were the descendant of Amalek and Amalek was the descendant of Eliphaz and Eliphaz was the son of Esau. All right. There's a lot of names in there. I stumbled over some. So basically the, um, Haman was an Edomite. He had come from the line of Esau. So you're going to, the tension is already built in. If you know the story between Jacob and Esau, it starts at birth and it just continues. So the tension is already built in. Mordecai is a Hebrew. Haman is an Edomite. So Haman is now in a position of power and the king, Ahasuerus, demands that everyone bows to Haman. Well, Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman because Haman is an Edomite and Haman takes that personally because him being an Edomite, he already hates Mordecai, the Jew. So what Haman does is he comes up with a plan and the plan is, 
it's kind of interesting how far he went. He doesn't just want Mordecai killed. He wants every Jew in the province of Persia, the 127 provinces. Um, Ahasuerus ruled from India to Ethiopia. He wanted every Jew from India to Ethiopia murdered. So he comes up with this plot, and he tells the king they are different from everyone else. They don't follow the king's law, so it's not profitable to the king to keep them alive. Um, so basically he – and then he offered to pay, ten, I think it was 10,000 talents uh, to, to the men that would be responsible for murdering these people. So if you think about that, he was saying that it, it would be less expensive to pay to have them wiped out. And we get the same uh, sort of treatment in the media, if you really look at the media now. They, they use fear in the way they present us. Uh, Haman, the first thing he went in, he said they're different from, from everyone else. And in, um, let me see, in, in the media, our music, they present us as violent. If you listen to a lot of the music out right now, it's, it's either about sex, money, or violence. That's the, the type of music that is being pushed to us. And I, I mentioned it before. You have Eminem. He's a white rapper, uh, but they didn't use sex drugs and uh he he used drugs but they didn't they didn't make it prevalent in his music and he didn't talk about shooting black people every other verse but if you listen to our rap all of our rappers got to be thugs and gangsters they got to come from the hood it has to be about money and women and i mean this is the kind of music that they pushed us and so they pushed it you know we're different or if you really want to get deep into it the uh, the news, they push that we're violent. They show us as criminals. If anybody wants to go look, go look up and see who the majority of people in federal prison are. Not regular prison, but federal prison. The statistic is out there, and it'll surprise you. And I will tell you right now, it is not black people. But they don't push that statistic on TV. They teach that we are the majority of the population. So anyway, this is why they have that attitude towards when they kill a black person, the first thing they do is demonize them and say, see, look, this is how they are. So anyway, Agag tried this, this tactic. It was a political tactic. He was acting as a lobbyist. We call these lobbyists today where you go in and get the attention of the lawmakers. So the king agrees with Agag. And there's a law made that on the 13th of Adar that anybody in the province could kill Jews, whether it be man, woman, or child. They can kill them without repercussion. So this is going to set up for what we call the first purge, just like the movie. You can go out and do whatever you want, right? But the Jews could not fight back. That was the thing. It was not – they couldn't fight back. So they had to basically just lay down and die. So Mordecai tells Esther what's going on, and he also drives home the point and tells Esther, he says, look, if you don't do this, God will save us and you'll die. But the catch-22 is that if Esther goes before the king without his permission and he does not hand her the golden scepter, she'll die. So either way it goes, Esther's life is on the line here. And so we are introduced to a concept which I use to speak to Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't believe that we should get involved in politics in any way, shape, or form. And in addition to that, they believe it's basically subverting God's will to vote or, or participate in any manner. 
Now, I believe there are some ways you can participate. Uh, we'll talk about voting in a second, but basically Esther had to go act as a lobbyist herself, which is a political position. A lobbyist is more effective than a vote, actually, if you really look at how the system works. Now, when you get into voting, what they've done is after they gave us the right to vote, they started doing what's called gerrymandering, where they would uh, redraw the districts so that they could purposely dilute the black vote. So for those of you out there that are, that are always you know, adamant about voting, look at how your districts are drawn, and then you will see how much voting power you actually have. And then once you get past that, there's the, the voter ID laws that they're trying to get passed, and then there's the stuff they do with the voter registration, and then sometimes they play these, these crazy tricks where they'll send you to the wrong district to vote at the last minute so that you can't vote. I mean, they do all kind of different stuff to keep our vote from counting. So look into that stuff um, before you go vote, because that'll tell you if it's a waste of your time or not. If they've redrawn your district so that, you know, they've split up your vote so they diluted, you know, 50% of the black vote down to, to where it only counts as 5%, then you'll, you'll understand what's going on. So moving on. So Esther is now in a position where she has to lobby the king, but she's also have to, she also has to reveal her identity, that she is a Hebrew because she hadn't uh, um, revealed that yet because of Mordecai. So she reveals her identity, that these are her people, and the king hands her the scepter. So she doesn't die this first time. Now, Esther has to do this three times. A lot of times we're presented with Esther you know, going before the king and saving her people, and it's, it's a watered-down version. But this is the first time um, that, that Esther goes before the king and risked her life. And here's what Mordecai told her. Let me read this real quick, Esther 4.14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Esther was facing sure destruction on one side and possible destruction on the other, and so she took the risk to go before the king. So um, the king hands her the scepter. And as part of the request, he says, ask what you want. And she says, I want you to come to a banquet tomorrow. So this is Esther's first request. This is what she risked her life to do was to invite the king to a banquet. But she says, I only want you and Haman to come. Now, Haman is upset. He goes home and he goes on a rant. And he talks to his family and he's saying, I have riches, I have honor, and I have this and I have that. but." But Mordecai won't bow to me. So he was obsessed because this one man would not bow to him. And so he was up, and his family suggests, hey, you should build a gallows to hang Mordecai from. He thinks it's a great idea, so he heads straight to the king. Now, meanwhile, the king can't sleep because he's thinking about Esther's banquet, and so the king has his um, servants Read him the Chronicles of the Medes and the Persians. Now, this is different from the book of Chronicles in the Bible. The Chronicles of the Medes and the Persians are their own set of chronicles. In the Chronicles, he runs across Mordecai's name. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the Chronicles, he runs across Mordecai's name. And the fact that Mordecai had told Esther about the plot to kill him, which saved his life, and he asked his servants, what did we do for this man, Mordecai, who saved my life? And they said nothing. So the king is still in thought about Mordecai. 
Haman comes into the king. The king addresses Haman. He said, now, before Haman has a chance to speak about the gallows, he comes in and he says, the king says, hold on. What would you do for the man that you honored the most in the kingdom if you were the king? And Haman thinks to himself that the king must be talking about me. So he basically convinces the king to give to make this person a prince and to give them honor and horses and, and basically bring this person to a high position in the kingdom. So the king says, okay, go do that to Mordecai. Now Haman is super mad at this point because now he has accidentally turned Mordecai into a prince when he was coming in there to get Mordecai killed. So this is where things take a, a funny turn. So the, they go to the dinner. We're going to fast forward to the dinner. They go to this dinner or this banquet that uh, Esther was throwing, and the king is so impressed with the banquet that he, he asked Esther, he said, what, what should we, what do you want? And she says that, you know, somebody's trying to kill my people. And he says, she says, it's Mordecai. Mordecai is trying to kill my people, and these are my people. And so the king is mad, and he gets up. He's fuming mad. He storms out, and he's probably pacing back and forth, thinking on what to do. Haman, I'm sorry, he, uh, let, me, let me make sure I said that right. Haman wants to kill the people, not Mordecai. Haman wants to kill the people. And, and uh, the king gets up, storms out, because he's mad that Haman wants to kill Mordecai and his people and Esther and her people. And Haman falls before the queen and starts begging for forgiveness. So when the king walks back in, he sees Haman laid out on the queen's bed with the queen on the bed because he's begging her for his life. And the king thinks that Haman is about to rape the queen in front of him. So this, this is like this is escalating very, very quickly. The king is already mad. He comes in. He sees Haman there and thinks Haman is trying to rape Esther in front of his face. And almost like um, out of a movie or like one of the, like a comedy movie, or if you watch any mobster movie, it says they covered his Haman's face and immediately removed him. So uh, when you see those movies where they suddenly put the bag over somebody's head and they snatch him up and, you know, throw him into a van or something like that, that that's what I imagine probably happened to Haman. So Haman of course, is executed, which is going to – he's executed on his own gallows. Uh, his wife, Zeresh – now, before he got executed, uh, I do want to point out, his wife, Zeresh, told him that if Haman or if Mordecai was actually a Jew, that his plan was going to fail. So his wife had already warned him that this would fail if, if Mordecai was really a Jew. So anyway, this is, this is part of the first request from Esther. Now – Esther is going to go in and make a second request to the king after this. And once again, she risked her life because the king has to hold her out the scepter, which he does. And so her second request, because remember, the 13th of Adar was supposed to be the purge. The king had signed it into law already, and according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, the law cannot be reversed. Even if the king signed it, you'll see this law in play in the book of Daniel with the law of the king, uh, the Medes and the Persians, where um, you'll see Nebuchadnezzar do the same thing. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar lived forever. So they 
this is a this is a common theme. So because the king is signed into the law, the purge is still on. Even though Haman is dead, the purge is still on for Adar the thirteenth. So Esther goes back this second time, and she asked the king, "Can the, the purge is still on? Can you do something about it?" And the king says, "Well, I can sign into law that if anybody tries to kill the Jews, the Jews can group up together, murder them, and take everything they own." So basically, this was this was like full-on purge now. Everybody could kill Jews. Jews could kill everybody else. There's no consequences. You could take everybody's stuff. This is full-on purge. Probably like one of the scariest times in history if, you know, being present. And the thing was, men, women, and children, all nothing was off limits. That was signed into the law, young and old. It didn't matter if you were crippled. There were, there were no boundaries that day. So the first purge happens. The very first purge happens. And they kill 500. The Jews kill 500 men in Shushan Palace. They kill... Oh, wait. Let me let me not get ahead of myself. So that's day one of the purge. Now, in the movie, the purge only lasts for a day. In the Book of Esther, the purge goes on for two days. So Adar the 14th was supposed to be the second day of the purge. Esther goes back to the king on the 13th, so this is her third time risking her life. He gives her the scepter this time. I'm pretty sure she was comfortable and, and you know, knew he was going to give her the scepter at this point. And even if she didn't, she had no choice. He, she goes back to him on the 13th and says, can you sign it into law that they can fight back tomorrow as well? Because they didn't have permission to fight back the next day. She'd only got permission for day one. So he grants permission for them to be able to do the same thing the next day. So the next day, they kill 300 more people at Shushan Palace. Altogether, according to the book of Esther, over 75,000 people died in those two days between India and Ethiopia and all 127 provinces. And those were like the first two days of the purge. So we have about two minutes left. I'm going to end it right here because there is a part two to this. In part two, we're going to get a lot deeper into some of the stuff that um, some of the implications of the purge and, and some of the implications in the book of Esther. And I'm going to relate it to some of the stuff that's going on in our time. So if you have not already subscribed to me on YouTube, make sure you go there and click the subscribe button. Make sure you subscribe on Twitter. Uh, for those of you asking about the Black Hebrew Awakening on Kindle, it is already available for pre-order. Uh, it will be released on November 15th, as well as the paperback. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, make sure you send them to me. I am going to do another um, question and answer show where I answer to your questions. I have been getting all your questions uh, for those of you who have been asking. Uh, if you want to get a sneak peek at what's coming up um, after November 15th when I start posting the full studies again on the site, uh, go to the coming soon section. If you're a patron, you have full access to the uh, coming soon section. You can read some of those studies. I believe there's four or five um, studies that are in the works right now, and you can see the progress I've made on them so far, and you can get a head start on reading some of those if you want to get into the studies. Um, for those of you who are all access uh, patrons, uh, I still will be continuing the mini study Mondays every Monday, so those will not stop. And then there are more food for thoughts coming soon. All patrons have access to the food for thought section. So 
Uh, if you have show ideas, also let me uh, say that before I go. If you have show ideas, some of you have actually given me several great show ideas, and I'll shout you out when it comes to those. If you have show ideas, send them my way. If you have a book on the Bible you want me to create, this, or, or even a story in the Bible you want me to create a study for, uh, let me know because I'm going to jump back on all this stuff after November 15th. Uh, so until then, uh, have a safe week, and I'm out.